Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Support for this podcast comes from Zuri Food, all-natural, all-human-grade dog food, offering four different diets to optimize nutrition for your pup, and now two different kinds of dog treats as well. Visit www.zurifood.com today to order yours, because pups are people too. Hey everybody, welcome to GuitarCast episode 28. This is your host, Andy Keithley. Today's guest is Chelsea Clark. Chelsea owns and operates a guitar repair shop here in Los Angeles called Guitars and Caffeine. Today's Osiris podcast profile is the newest addition to the Osiris network. It's the Relics Audio Hour. Relics is a magazine and an online publication that's all the best music news, live music, They're also Osiris Media Partner, and their first episode went up just recently, and in it they profile the recent Leon Bridges album and tour, and they talk a little bit about Bob Weir and Phil Lesh's tour earlier this year, and play a lot of clips and and really good sounding audio quality stuff. So check out the Relics Audio Hour on whatever podcast app you're using and visit OsirisPod.com for a full list of all the other great podcasts in the Osiris Podcast Network. Leave a rating and a review for GuitarCast on Apple Podcasts. You can do it right from your app and only takes a second. And follow GuitarCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at GuitarCastPod. This episode of GuitarCast is brought to you by Zuri Food. Fresh, all-natural, all-human-grade dog food and dog treats. If you've got a dog, visit ZuriFood.com today because pups are people too. Here comes GuitarCast episode 28 with guitar repairer Chelsea Clark. All right. Okay, so we're here. Welcome to GuitarCast, everybody. We're here with Chelsea Clark. Yes, hi. Chelsea, we're in your shop. (laughs) My house shop. (laughs) Your house shop. (laughs) And we were just talking about this a second ago, about what exactly it is that you do or what your title would be. It's kind of ambiguous because... I like to go by badass. Um, Professional (laughs) badass, of course. (laughs) Yeah, no, the term um, uh, luthier is what's been... Should I turn that off? It'll it'll be in there. It'll just sound like it'll sound like shop noises. Like there's some machine, you know. (laughs) Do you watch Westworld at all? You know that show? Yes, yes, yes. You know the opening? There's like they're like these 3D printers building the bodies. Yeah, building the bodies. Yeah. That's what people might hear, you know. So just say we're 3D printing. 3D printing incredible (laughs) guitars. Um. So a lot of people use the term luthier, and um, that traditionally is uh, is supposed to describe a loop builder or guitar builder these days. Um, That's where the 
lute. Yeah, I did a lute, not know yeah, that. that's yeah. That's the the history behind guitars, um, and of course there are other guitar-like stringed instruments from around the world, but that's the luthier uh, term. Now we say luthier in U.S., um, but overseas, you know, it's pronounced luthier. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, also new to me. Yeah, yeah. but no, I, I um, to me, it's a little uncomfortable and pretentious. Not that um, if I call my friends a luthier or hear somebody else use it, I, I, I think it's great, and I know exactly what they do. Um, I just personally, I like to just be called a repairer. Yeah, okay. I repair things. And just from looking at your story on your website, sounds like you're from Ohio. I am. Southeastern Ohio. Southeastern Ohio. Yeah, Athens, Ohio. Um, Athens is the hometown of Ohio University. Yeah. Is that the green one? Yeah. (laughs) Green and white bobcats. Gotcha. I got some friends who went there. Oh, there you go. And I grew up not too far from there in in Virginia, in Charlottesville. Okay, cool. So I spent some time in Ohio. Nice. Um, It's beautiful. We grew up up in a beautiful area of America. You still have family there? I do, yeah. and it's always a, a blessing to go visit. Um, Stu Mac is also located there. Okay, so, so yeah. I've ordered parts from them, like yeah, um, tuners and and other various guitar parts. I'm like I, I've been a player my whole life, and I really don't know the first thing about how a guitar is built or real repairs. I mean, I can make some, you know. Can, are you, are you like do you set up your own guitars? I have attempted, but I don't know what I'm doing. So, like, okay. uh, I, I shouldn't be if I am. But, um, you know, how did you... So, did you play at one point? And that's kind of how you... Oh, uh, how I started. So, no, I um, uh, I attempted to start to play. <laughs> I bought this $90 Fender Acoustic when I was 16 because I was you know, crushing on a, on a guy that played guitar. And I thought, if I got this guitar, you know, the guys would really like me. Same, same kind of thing. Did it, with, did it have, like, the Fender, <laughs> like, Stratocaster headstock? Like... Um, no, it wasn't. It was at the Sonoma. No, it wasn't. It yeah. was a... Uh, um, uh, it was just a, a plain uh, dreadnought. <laughs> and it came, you know, the kit that had the little tuner mm-hmm. and the bag. Strap and, or something yeah, like that. And the yeah, the strap. And it might have had a, a chord book, too. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, before I got a chance to learn how to play, uh, an acquaintance of mine borrowed it. And when I got it back, the headstock was broken. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> so, um, so I kept it around because... Um, I, I knew it could be fixed. I just didn't know how to do it. And lo and behold, the following summer, I got a job uh, fixing up Dan Erlewine's house. I would do these odds and ends jobs around town, um, hanging cabinets, doors, hmm. painting. And I worked for him. And so I walked into his shop one day and I see all these guitars and it's an amazing, you know, woodworking shop. And I, I just mentioned to him, hey, do you mind trading some hours for, for this broken guitar? Well, I'm sure, you know, an $80, $90 yeah. <laughs> Fender Acoustic Dreadnought yeah. with a broken headstock, not quite worth it. So, um, so at the time, I thought he kind of brushed me off. And I, I did the work. I, 
I ended up changing a coal room in his basement um, into a spray booth. So dry locksing everything and hanging up cabinets and installing a fan, you know. Um, so when the job was done, uh, I, uh, he handed me, it was a Friday, and he handed me a couple books. It was a bag with books and a few DVDs. And he said, come back on Monday and I'll have your check. But during the weekend, if you have some time, check out this stuff. And, uh, and I'll talk to you about your guitar on Monday. So I kind of put it off all weekend. And then on Sunday, I had a few, few moments and I, I popped in a DVD and it was him. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like such an idiot, like such a jerk. Yeah. Because yeah, I didn't, you know, here I was working with somebody who is... I mean, he has DVDs and books, and I had no idea, and, and I'm bringing him an $80 <laughs> acoustic with a broken headstock. Um, so on Monday when I showed up, uh, he paid me, and uh, he also had a bench set up for me and basically said, if you have any questions, I'll be over here, but fix your guitar. Wow. And so that was my first repair, and after that... Um, I was kind of hooked because it was a hands-on, creative thing um, where I could work with wood, but I also, there's a lot of science integrated into it, and mm -hmm. so I, I fell in love, I think, with the science. Cool. So um, from there, where did your path take you after that happened? So, um, huh, uh, so after that, so I had already enrolled in beauty school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and the deposit was uh, a lot of money. It was, I think, all of beauty school cost like $9,000 or something. And I had already put down a deposit of like two grand. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I went to beauty school in Columbus, Ohio, which is about, at the time, there, now there, it's about an hour and 15 minutes away because of a new highway. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was about two hours away. So on the weekends, I would drive down. So I would go to beauty school during the day, wait tables at night, and then on the weekends, I'd come down and sweep shop at Dan's, you know, and, and visit my family. And um, so I did that for about eight months, almost dropped out of beauty school. Um, and uh, Were you studying, like, hair and makeup? Yeah, well, just uh, cutting hair, coloring yeah. hair, yeah. you know. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to cut mohawks. <laughs> I got like one. That. <laughs> that was my only goal. Hope you want a mohawk. I, mean, yeah. I ended up being all right at, at other at other cuts. So, um, but yeah, that was my. I wanted to be a, a punk stylist. I, I yeah. don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, it paid my bills for a little while, though. I, I will say, for about five years. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I get out of, of beauty school. And I come back down to Athens and realize after a couple months that I don't, cutting hair is fun, but it's not, it, to me it was a form of art, artistry, mm -hmm. uh, as hair is kind of a fabric. Mm -hmm. Everybody's hair, because of the movement and the weight, it kind of lays differently. Sure. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed it. It was like sculpting, kind of. Um, but the the culture around around the everyday you know stylist it wasn't anything that appealed to me um, yeah 
I, you know, I, I mean, I, I like wearing, you know, uh, fancy clothes and dressing up and, but I don't really think that defines me. Sure. Um, and I don't think that that should define anybody else. Um, so I went back to school and while I was back in school, I cut hair, um, sometimes, but then I would also be repairing guitars. Hmm. And a lot of the, uh, for, a, for the early part of my, I don't, I don't know if it was a career yet, but um, when I was in Athens, I would mostly sweep up in hand tools. There wasn't a lot of, I would repair friends' guitars, or if there was a beater that um, somebody couldn't, re you know, uh, afford a repair, then I would repair repair those guitars <laughs> yeah uh, so, you know so I wasn't working on pre-war Martins right. you know that that wasn't uh, so the first probably five years um, of getting into guitar repair I was just sweeping up shop learning about um, tools and the anatomy of a guitar and the science behind the chemicals um, handing tools being present uh, watching watching Dan work and watching my other colleagues work, like Eric Coleman. Um, you were apprenticing, isn't I was, yeah. I was. I was a fly on the wall, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was, those were great years. Um, I really enjoy learning, so that, those were great years. Uh, at, at some point, Guitar Player Magazine called up Dan, and Dan had, had done a few uh, do-it-yourself articles in Guitar Player Magazine in the 80s. And at that time, there was five of us working in Dan's shop. Um, and and so he integrated us into those new articles. And that, we were called the Mod Squad. And that, that was fun. I, 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 I started learning a lot because Dan kind of pushed me to learn more. Uh, there was a lot more finish work I started doing at that mm -hmm. point. I loved finish touch-up. Um, I loved detailing and, and restoring old vintage things, cleaning, basically. Um, but along with that, which was such a cool experience and opportunity, um, those articles ran, I think, for three years. Uh, there was a lot of it was kind of my first view of the outside world looking at me hmm. um, being a guitar repairer. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't a very, it, it wasn't what I thought I looked like. <laughs> 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 you know, it was um, uh, very sexist um, hmm. and very ageist. Um, the, you know. the industry of... Yeah, Guitar just pairing, yeah, yeah. Well, and not not yeah, the industry, um, but but also just kind of the culture built the up way around that you it. Were portrayed and yeah, well, no, no, not how I was portrayed in the magazines, just how everybody thought of me. So, for example, I would I would meet a guy, right, and um, and we'd you know have the discussion. Oh, what do you do? What do you do? And I'd start talking about guitar repair. And then right afterwards, it would just be this crank out of gear questions, mm. trying to discredit me. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I've never been a gearhead, right? And so mm. I just got really quiet about about talking. That really took away my voice for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and 
That's shitty. Yeah, it it is. Yeah. It is. But um, but because of Dan and, and the team, it was never part of the shop. That was never a part of the shop culture. So mm. um, so it was only on the outside. So for a long time, uh, uh, I, I was dating this guy in Chicago, and we would go out, and he's in a band, so we would meet all these people. And I would tell him, I'd be like, please don't mention to anybody that I repair guitars or that I'm Don't in Guitar Player magazine. Yeah. Hey, this is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this podcast is part of the Osiris podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics. Check them out for all kinds of new music, news, and information. You're with Dan Irwin? So yeah, so I'm with Dan, and, and at that time I was... Uh, back in college at Ohio University, getting a degree in anthropology that took three years. I then moved to New York City to to shave mohawks. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of customers. There. <laughs> um, and you know what? I I actually for that year that I was in New York City, I maybe repaired a handful of guitars, maybe a half dozen guitars. Now, at this point, did you have your own tools, and did you have... Yeah. Okay. I always I always traveled with tools. I, I kind of got that from my parents. I grew up... Uh, they always flipped the houses that mm-hmm. we lived in. So tools, to me, were just kind of natural, yeah. right? And I've always had a pair of steel-toe boots, and that's just... Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, so I had tools, and I would do that on the side, Um but really, I was there cutting hair, and I didn't like the culture of New York, uh, probably mostly because I was, uh, I, I didn't have a pot to piss in. <laughs> you know? It's I, a very expensive city. I hear that. I, like, okay, every, everybody loves New York, right? You hear it's just, mm-hmm. And I've been, I've spent plenty of time yeah. in New York. I've never lived there, but I've spent a lot of time there. And it's like, for some reason, it's like sacrilege to, for people to say, like, I just don't love the city of New York yeah. in the way that people talk about yeah, it. Yeah, like, right. Like, it's cool, I guess, to visit there. But, like, if you don't have a budget and you're there, <laughs> it's a brutal place to be. It's like, yeah. not, it's, it's rough. I mean, yeah. it can be really rough. So It's so true. I was living, I remember paying $700 for a room, which was probably at one point a pantry or a side mm-hmm. closet mm-hmm. of an apartment mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, <laughs> yeah it was bad so so needless to say i didn't stay there for very long um i got an offer to um from actors theater to uh build props uh in louisville kentucky um at the theater uh in college i built props and my mom had growing up my mom uh, was a director of sorts. Um, and so I, I was kind of always backstage building mm-hmm. things, yeah. right? And so when that opportunity came, I thought that it would be a really good exit point. So I went down to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, never really had a desire to go there before. Um, just, you know, an opportunity to get, get the hell out. When I was there, um, like, the second day, I met the love of my life, who I'm still with, and he is. I never. I said. I always said I'd never date a guitarist. <laughs> and yeah. He's a guitarist, yeah. Yep. And that was eight years ago, so um, it can't be bad because we're we're still together. But 
he started taking me around to the local music stores. And in yeah, in Louisville. And one of the music stores we visited uh, was called uh, Willis Music. And they had a few locations, I think, in the tri-state area um, at that time. I don't, they might only have one or two locations now. And the manager recognized me from Guitar Player Magazine. Oh, wow. From years and years before, <laughs> right? I mean, just a total, just a guitar geek, right? Cool. Um, and offered me a job on the spot. And at that point, I hadn't really, um, I didn't think that I, I would ever be taken seriously or ever given the opportunity to to repair guitars for a living. Mm. Um, that just with the culture surrounding the articles and um, everything, I, I just thought that it wasn't an option. Mm. Um, so when that happened, I I said, well, sure, fuck it, let's, you know, let's see if this works. Um, and, and it did, it worked for uh, about a year. Um, I ended up managing both of the locations in you know with the shops uh, which isn't much to say there was maybe one or two other guys doing that uh and then uh, i'm talking to dan you know probably every week with a question i have or you know just to bounce ideas off of somebody and uh and he said that gibson's restoration shop uh which at the time was managed by todd money uh, was looking for somebody with my skills. In Nashville. In Nashville. Right. So he hooked me up with Todd Money. I went down there for an interview, and um, and it just it just made sense. It just fit. Yeah. Um, so, I guess a month later, after the personality test, and I mean, when you work for big corporations, you know, there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through in order to, yeah. you know, I don't know. Have you ever worked with a, with a corporation? Uh, <laughs> not really, but I understand kind of what you mean. But I mean, Gibson, yeah, one of the top guitar makers yeah. in history. Yeah. The you know in based in Nashville, like that's got to be. That's got to be a pretty high-profile yeah. place to get involved with. I guess right? there yeah. was a there was like two computer personality tests. I don't know. Maybe they were <laughs> maybe they were I, testing see, never, other I've things. I've never but, done anything like that. But I, I would assume that it was a personality, <laughs> test, you know, <laughs> testing you in your honesty and and. This and wasn't like you. Scientology. Yeah, and maybe, maybe it was. <laughs> they sent me a bottle of water in the mail. It was the whole thing. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Um, so I moved down to Nashville, and, and soon he didn't follow. He, he stayed. He, he had a, a guitar teaching business um, in Louisville mm. where he had, I think, like 35 kids. Wow. Um, and his, he's, his pedigree is pretty good. He's from, uh, he, he went to Berkeley in Boston. That's where I went. Graduated. To. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe you guys know each other. Could be. That's wild. I was there from 2005 to 2008. Oh, for sure you guys know each other. What major was he in? Um, I think performance, okay. guitar performance. I was and... uh, contemporary writing and production, so I was doing like sequencing and scoring and com and composing and Do stuff. Do you know Heim? Um, what's Heim's last name? Uh, shoot. 
I, I, I play this game all the like, time. I mean, with Berkeley, Berkeley's such a small like place. Five people. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I, there's a good chance we're already Facebook friends or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so. absolutely. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um, so I uh, uh, so I moved down there and end up the restoration shop at the time was nine guys, um, and I was the first female to go there and work as a repairer mm -hmm. they had had a woman there um who was a sander and they had another woman before me who just was kind of goofy didn't really know much you know she wasn't coming in with experience mm. um and i think that really kind of deterred them for a while um but then, then they met me, and and I didn't have quite as much experience, I guess, as they were looking for. Um, uh, one of the guys really put me through the ringer, um, and I I don't know if I I like to think that it was out of love that he always did. <laughs> he always did, um, always quizzing me and testing me, and yeah. um, and that was good. It really kind of. Um, made me care more and, and see the responsibility that, that I had because we just dealt with the artist relation stuff. So it was um, everybody going on tour, coming back from tour that was a Gibson hmm. um, artist yeah. would go through us. And so that was really cool. We worked on a lot of vintage stuff. Um, I mean, amazing, amazing stuff. While I was there, I reconnected with a guy named Joe Glazier who has a shop there. Um, repair shop great team of guys I think he has a team of maybe eight hmm. um, eight repairers he's involved in the Plex machine I knew him through Dan I'd met him years before but um, but now when I was down there I, I started swinging by shop and doing that fly on the wall thing again hmm. and, and asking questions and just looking and everybody there's amazing and and knowledgeable and just really welcoming for that um, so he kind of put it in my head that the industry was going towards kind of this computerized way of, of designing. Mm. And that was something that I'd always wanted to do is be a designer of something, right? I, I wanted to, growing up, I wanted to design clothing and then I wanted to be, um, an architect and design houses and, so he kind of introduced me to this niche that I never thought about me as a repairer. I, I just was always, um, I was at the other end of the problem, right? I yeah. wasn't trying to, to solve the problem before it happened. There's already a problem. There was already a problem present, yeah. right. So, um, and, and then also working at Gibson, uh, the notorious headstock, right? The mm -hmm. headstock breaks. Um, and I was seeing a lot of those. And so I started thinking, should I go back to school? Um, you know, how, how can I move forward uh, towards the direction of research and development and be taken seriously as a 26-year-old female in mm -hmm. this industry? Um, so I did. I ended up resigning at Gibson, which was, it was sad because I loved all of my teammates. Yeah. I didn't necessarily like the culture of the company per se, um, but I, I will attest that everybody I met that worked at Gibson 
was passionate. Yeah. They were there not because of the paycheck, I'll tell you. They were <laughs> they were there because they loved the history of Gibson. They loved the feel of playing Gibsons. Um, there was the employees put the pride into the name. Yeah. Um, and and so when I left there, I moved back to Louisville to go to school for industrial design. Um, they went to school. Took about a year because most of my credits transferred. Mm. And then, um, let's see, after I graduated, I went back to Athens for a little while just to figure out my next move. And I worked for Dan in the mornings um, from like 7 a.m. to 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And then I bartended. And I bartended until about 8 at night. And then I went home. Slept, woke yeah. up, <laughs> you know, wa- wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. So, yeah. And how long have you been in Los Angeles? Uh, I've been in Los Angeles now, I think, five or six years. Mm. Um, so right after that, I got a few job offers and, and managing Westwood Music's repair shop was... The most intriguing to me because yeah. um, Suni's a guitarist, you know, he's a professional guitarist. So uh, being in L.A. just kind of, you know, jived with him, too. So Westwood Music is like one of the last music shops, guitar places. The Legacy stores. LA, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah Fred Wallachy. Yeah. It, and the history just intrigued me, too. I mean, to be a part of of that history was important to me. Um Unfortunately, I never really uh, got to know Fred, um, but what a life, mm. you know. Um, he's still around. I think he repairs in Malibu. Um, but he wasn't around so much when I was there. I had new ownership by that time. Uh, it was good. It, it, I, there was a lot of cleanup that I did when I first got there. Um, the store was going through some changes and they wanted to kind of revamp the repair shop and and rebrand the store a tiny bit by still keeping a lot of the legacy mm-hmm. um, behind it. Um, after about two and a half, three years, I realized that there was no way for me to grow. Um, I, I love the team there the people there uh but I had to resign so when I resigned I I kind of didn't know what to do mm-hmm. like here we are in Los Angeles I it's my fault <laughs> <laughs> you know um I got a I I got a, a few soft offers one being in New York City um Tom Crandall who is Adam Levy oh, okay that was the connection with cool. Adam um he kind of said, well, if you guys want to go to the East Coast, I'll, I'd love to have you in my shop and I'll figure something out. And boy, that would have, you know, that would be such an honor. And I hope someday to work with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just wasn't going to work out with, with uh, at that point, Sunni had already kind of developed a career here. He was recording for a couple TV shows. He was touring with a few bands, you know, and I, that it would just wouldn't make sense it's you know it's easy to get stuck in this town yeah. you know? <laughs> i've i've been here 10 years and on at least 3 occasions 
decided I was moving and made plans and got the U-Haul and, oh, wow. and still didn't, still <laughs> and couldn't still make it out. <laughs> yeah. Cause I had a Get gig, down the right? block, that's I it. had some job that I needed to stick around <laughs> for, you know, so I got, I got stuck. Right. It's like right when you're most ready to go, then, you know, there's a bloom of, of yeah. opportunity. Um, so I opened up guitars and caffeine. I had all the tools. Um, which is where we are now. Yeah, which is where we are now, which is a shop in my apartment. Yeah, um, I love it. I'm not, I'm not too shy about that. Um, is it, there like a main uh, piece of gear or a main, uh, like, walk me through, like, what it, what's your setup if you are a guitar repairer? What tools do you need? What's sure. the big ones? Um, so a good vice, mm-hmm. uh, a good bench vice to hold that guitar i see so many uh, i walk into so many music stores and see benches built out and all they have are these flimsy um little neck cradles Mm -hmm. that's horrible if you're going to be repairing a guitar um mostly because you need three or four hands for a lot of repairs and Mm -hmm. that vice is one extra one Right. right um so that that's really, uh, I have, I think, a $200 vice. It's been with me for 16 years now, or wow. 15 years. Um, and really, that's my saving grace to a lot of things. Um, I would say tabletop tools. Um, I have a little small tabletop bandsaw in here, and I have a, uh, a belt sander. Um, those save a lot of time. Um, now, when I started Guitars and Caffeine, I didn't have all the tools I have now. Uh, within the, the adventure at Westwood, um, we had an apartment fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and lost everything. Uh, this was in West Hollywood. There was um, just some loose wires in the wall, and, and it went up. We weren't, we weren't there. Um, no, you know, nobody was hurt, but yeah, so I didn't have any tools. Um, so, yeah, so I think the first thing that I, I made sure I had the vice, but the first thing I made sure I got was, um, you know, just the basic hand tools, uh, files and chisels. Mm-hmm. There's a lot you can do with those, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, um, I had one question I put it out I, I said that I was going to be sitting down with you yeah. on social media and I had one listener who wanted to know oh, yeah. um, why what is all the mystery and why are people so obsessed with pre-war Martins <laughs> and like what, <laughs> oh. or in general oh, in general why why does it seem like the old the older the guitar is the better it the sounds better it or is. the better it plays or something um, um, a lot of that has to do with uh, the production line Mm. And the wood available. Right. Um, now, I am I am no expert with pre-war Martins. I will repeat that again. I am no. <laughs> it <laughs> you, seems like you can have to get T.J. Thompson. It's very edit his voice thing. in here. Um, <laughs> um, another repairer. If if you don't know, look him up. Uh, T.J. Thompson is. He's he's very well known uh, for specifically mm-hmm. pre-war Martin restoration. Um, before the wars, right? Uh, America was kind of chugging along. Industrial Revolution happened. We're just being innovative at this point, chugging along. During the wars, after the wars, or during the wars, materials are scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a lot there's there are new uh, materials being invented like tight bond and and um, man-made hide glue after the war it's all about production and money right mm -hmm. so the pre-war guitars um, not only were they made from older wood that had a tighter grain, uh, but but in a sense, they were kind of made with a little bit more love. Yeah. Right? Um, not mass produced on a, on a level where it's right. just Right. We weren't there yet through. as an industry. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, even though you have uh, cheaper models back then, everything was still kind of handmade and handcrafted. Right. And, uh, by artists, uh, there was artistry involved. Yeah, um, yeah. It seems like I, I'm just drawing this conclusion right now, but today it seems like guitar builders are kind of going the same way that like craft beer has gone, and all these industries that are now used to be like huge mass production and quality kind of went down. And now there's these smaller operations. Yeah. My, uh, Isn't that exciting? It's, I love it. I mean, yeah. I, I have a Rockbridge dreadnought. Uh -huh. Do you know the Rockbridge at all? Yeah, I've heard, yeah. So it's this guy, Brian Calhoun, and he's got a, a small team in Virginia, and they're just building incredible guitars. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a craft beer, but it's a, it's a guitar. It's a guitar. <laughs> you know, it's this little three or four op person operation, and... Uh, they spend more time and they yes. they make fewer products and it's better quality essentially, yeah. and it just seems like that was a sort of a pendulum from from um, the idea that you can go buy a hundred dollar guitar. It's like, well, how much work went into that guitar if it costs a hundred dollars? Right. You know? Well, and so this is a great thing that, that you just brought up because this is the new project I'm working on um, with Grover Jackson. So Grover Jackson Engineering is um, a company I just started working with a couple months ago. Um, and we are supporting boutique builders and small manufacturers cool. for this for that main reason of um, so a lot of a lot of guitar companies take their guitars overseas because they can't keep up with production, especially if it's a small shop like four or five people. Mm -hmm. Um, that's their only choice at this point. That drives down the price, but it also drives down the quality. Yeah. Um, it there's different materials used, especially with finish work, um, with hardware. So actually, what we're doing, Grover Jackson Engineering, is we're we're helping um, those small manufacturers take the next step in production without having to go overseas. Mm. So, um, for example, uh, a company that's, that's building maybe 50 to 100 guitars a year, they go to NAM and they get an order for 250. Mm -hmm. They can't up their production that fast, but we can help them do that. Cool. I, I really think that the, the culture right now in the industry is extremely fascinating, wonderful wonderfully creative mm -hmm. uh, the shapes that are coming out right now they're refreshing um, the aesthetics from the finish work to the hardware I mean this is this is the rebirth that's going to be needed in order for innovation to start happening in the industry again yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think it's like I was saying. I think it's happening in a lot of different areas, different yeah. industries. You think I, the the craft beer was like the first? It, they kind, it of, kind set, of it, sound, it seems like they kind <laughs> of set that trend or, yeah, or coffee, coffee right? Something. And <laughs> it's just like I guess it's a generational thing where it's like, hey, let's let's take something that in the '90s and early 2000s was just like way overproduced and yeah. and and bring it back to bring it back to like a more focused individual smaller operation with better results and better products i think yeah the, i think the ease of marketing helps a lot with that yeah. you know that cultural transition um but but i you know i think that also our generation and the generation that came right before us um there was there was a huge kind of creative bloom when we were children mm -hmm. you know yeah. um and i think that helped us be, become a, a little bit more creative and yeah. and kind of not force that on our culture but but say hey you told us that we were individuals from right. the time we were exactly. two so exactly. we're not going to stop now i think about that all the time <laughs> like my parents were not told you can do anything you want in the right. world they were told get a job and raise get, a family get a job yeah you have duties yeah. it's so but true my generation was told you're an individual you can you can be whatever you want to be you can be the president you of the united states you can do whatever you want to do <laughs> yeah. you don't have to let anybody right. you don't have to work a, a job you don't want to work yeah and uh, i think that mentality kind of led to a lot of entrepreneurship and yeah. a lot of, you know, my personally, like as a musician with that same kind of spirit, I started a band. It was a very indie operation and we were in charge of everything. We did everything ourselves. It was, uh, and I guess just in general, like with uh, social media, everybody is their own brand. It's right. Everybody kind of has their own image that they put out in the world, which is a very individual uh Thing, you know but you're but that's a great point it's technology developed right at the time where yeah. we needed it right when we were adult enough to to do something with it that was practical and and part of our business yeah well chelsea thank you so much for yeah, being so on the show <laughs> and thanks for having me here yeah thank you i think you. we got uh some good stuff in here excellent and i'm gonna bring a guitar by if you have time to do a repair please Eventually, yeah I'll, absolutely I'll bring my, yeah uh, my give rock me, bridge by yeah because i need some work absolutely and they make they make great stuff so i would love to work on work on your guitar thanks for the coffee too yeah and where can we find guitars and caffeine online yeah so uh guitars and caffeine.com um cool. Unfortunately, right now, my repair list is closed. Of course, you're <laughs> grandfathered in. Okay, um, cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I have 250 clients right now. So wow. I'm, I think that's enough, especially with um, my new endeavor. Yeah. Um, but I will be doing a lot more publications and a lot more videos uh, through YouTube in the next few months. So... Stay tuned for that. Um, I also have a article coming out in Fretboard Journal, cool. the electric issue um, about Grover Jackson. So that's kind of fun. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks, Chelsea. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot for listening. Make sure and leave a review on your podcast app. And follow GuitarCast on Twitter and Instagram at GuitarCastPod.com. 
More episodes and other great podcasts at guitarcast.net and osirispod.com. Osiris. Osiris.